Hi, my name is Miguel and I'm the pastor for Three Crosses Espanol. I remember in 2013, my wife Gracie and I came to Three Crosses looking for a home church. At first, I was a little hesitant because I thought with so many people there, I would not be able to serve anywhere. But that December, some of the Spanish-speaking members of the church put together a Christmas party. And it was awesome to see all the Latinos singing Villancicos, which is our version of Christmas carols. There was obviously something special happening. So we threw the idea out there of having a Bible study in Spanish. We began meeting in a home and I was asked to lead the small group. But after a couple months, we outgrew the house. So we asked Pastor Danny if we could host it at the church. He agreed and he even helped oversee the group, which was now meeting in Sunday evenings. We called the group Hire, which means the Lord will provide. As we continued to grow, we moved into the poor on Sunday mornings alongside our service and changed our name to Three Crosses Espanol. Obviously, during the shelter-in-place season, we have to reinvent a lot of the ways we do Espanol. But our purpose remains the same. We want to spread the Word of God to all those who cannot speak English. Our heart is to build a place where people feel loved and are taught sound doctrine, regardless of the language barriers. Over the years, I have truly seen God move as people in our Latino community search for Him. We really hope to see God continue to bless this group and thank Him every day for the amazing things that He has already accomplished. Te esperamos los domingos en la mañana. Visítanos. Bendiciones. Hey everybody, welcome back to our series called One Kingdom. I was so excited to hear that story from Miguel about Three Crosses Espanol because it's a beautiful glimpse into what we've been talking about in this series. Namely, that God has formed us into one people from people from every tongue and tribe and nation. So if you've missed the three weeks preceding this in the series, go back and listen to them. We've talked about who we are as God's people. What is the ethic of God's people? Why are we planted here in this East Bay as God's people? And what a beautiful picture we got to see today of what it looks like when God's people are a diverse and multi-ethnic group of followers of Jesus Christ on mission for his kingdom planted in this place. Now today we move to the second half of our series where we transition from talking about who we are as the people of the kingdom of God and we start talking about the relationship that Christians have with the kingdoms outside the church, the kingdoms of this world. You know, I said week one that this is going to be a little bit of a controversial series and you may have been thinking this hasn't been controversial at all yet. This is where it gets a little bit prickly for some of you because starting today we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus and politics and our text today is in Mark chapter 12. So you can turn there with me to Mark chapter 12. We're going to read in a little bit verses 13 uh, through 17 of Mark chapter 12. You know, a few weeks ago, I was watching a documentary on Netflix called The Family. And I know you're pulling out your phone to look it up now. You can do that uh, on Netflix called The Family. It's a documentary, not a Christian documentary, but it's a documentary about Christian people in Washington, D.C. who are very passionate about bringing the kingdom of God to the political realm of the United States. And if you watch this documentary, which you're totally up, you could do that. Uh, if you watch the documentary, you'll probably have a little bit of a mixed reaction like I did. There are some things in the documentary that you're going to feel like, well, that's pretty cool. Right? They started a national prayer breakfast. They did a discipleship group for Congress people. That, that's a really cool ministry. Then there's some other things in the video that feel a little bit more 
iffy or sketchy or scary or even unethical at times. And you're gonna walk away feeling a little bit conflicted because for a lot of us, there's this icky factor that comes when we start thinking about the relationship of the church and the state or God and politics. You know, we wanna see the kingdom of God expand throughout the entire earth, but when it comes to getting an intermingling between our faith and the political systems of this world, it feels like we gotta tread lightly because that's dangerous ground. And I know a lot of us have seen that go horribly wrong. You know, I was watching a few weeks ago, there was a pastor down in Southern California who was on the news because his church opened in the midst of COVID and, and he was being interviewed and started talking a little bit about the political opinions of his church. He said on the news, he said, I was just on the phone with President Trump and as President Trump and I were talking, we were agreeing that from a biblical standpoint, no Christian should vote Democratic in the upcoming election. And I'm watching this and thinking, Okay, I don't know if pastors are supposed to be giving political advice on the news to the people of our country. And yet you may have watched that clip and thought, right on, man, that's amazing. You might have watched that clip and thought, oh, no, 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 this is terrible, right? There are so many reactions that come when we start thinking about how politics relate to our faith. Now, I find that most Christians that I talk to tell me that they're pretty apolitical. So, you know, Danny, I'm not... I'm not a, you know, I vote, whatever, I do the political thing, but I'm not really passionate about politics. I don't have a lot of political opinions. But the funny thing is, as we keep talking and continue the conversation, the, us apolitical people a lot of times start revealing that we've got a lot of strong passions towards political issues. I mean, people I talk to are very passionate about things like rights for the unborn, or they're very passionate about things like social justice, or about candidates who are in office or may become in office. They've got strong opinions about our governor, or about our president, or potential future presidents, and all these opinions start welling up, and all of this angst can even well up inside of us, even for those of us who feel like we are not political at all. And where this topic relates to the series that we're in today is that if you are a Christian, you are a citizen of God's kingdom within an earthly kingdom. And that's true for all of us. If you're a Christian, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God living within a kingdom like America, a kingdom of this world. And so the question that we're going to approach today from the text is how does our citizenship in God's kingdom relate to our participation in the kingdoms of this world. How does our citizenship in God's kingdom relate to our participation in the kingdoms of this world? You know, I know a lot of you right now are watching this and you're thinking about turning it off, right? Or you feel like you're trying to pin me down and figure out where my political bent is from. We're not gonna do that. I'm not gonna reveal my personal politics today. We're not gonna get anything political today in this. Do not worry. I know a lot of us are exhausted from politics and content about politics. And the last thing you want is to tune into your church and hear a talk about the political state of our union. I promise you, we're gonna look at the Bible today. This is not political at all today. But I, I think the reason that we need to talk about this is because, A, this is a huge thing on the minds of so many of us. You know, we're going into a season right now as we move towards the elections. This is the reason we're doing this series right now is because we're realizing as citizens of God's kingdom, we have to wrestle with how does that relate to the kingdoms of this world, even the political kingdoms and systems that we live in. So today I want to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus is approached by some politically minded people, to put it lightly, and they try to bait him into revealing his politic. And we're going to see Jesus' response being so unique, so life-giving, 
so beautiful. I think all of us are going to want to emulate Jesus in his view of God and politics. And so this is Mark chapter 12. You know, as I was reading this passage, it reminded me uh, of different times in my life that I've been baited into political conversation. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was backpacking up in Yosemite and I was hanging out with some people, some of whom I knew. Um, There's a guy there that I didn't know. And so we're sitting down for dinner the first night and the guy who didn't know me was kind of trying to get the tone of who was with him on this backpacking trip. And so he threw out this seemingly innocuous question. He said, hey, while we're eating dinner here, guys, uh, who are you guys going to vote for in the next election? Right? And it got super quiet, super quick. Right? You can hear all the crickets chirping in the backcountry, and nobody wanted to answer. Right? Because it, it seemed like a really simple question on the surface that had a, a deeper meaning at its roots. And the deeper meaning was, hey, I want to figure out where each of you stand in relation to the political systems of this world. In Mark chapter 12, we see some people coming to Jesus with the exact same agenda, trying to say, Jesus, what side are you on? Where do you stand? Give me a little glimpse into your political underpinnings, Jesus. And we see here in verse 13 that the religious leaders of the time sent to Jesus some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came to him and said to him, I love this, how they like butter him up here. They said, teacher, we know that you are true and you don't care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the word of God. And then they ask him this, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Right again, a very seemingly innocuous question. Jesus, what do you believe about paying taxes. And yet when you do a little bit of a digging into this text and look at the tone of these questions, we realize that these two groups are trying to pin Jesus down and find out where he stands politically with his own worldview. You know, these two groups that came to him were, were not an accident. The Pharisees and the Herodians had a lot of similar political opinions, but they differentiated on one important point, which was the relationship of the kingdoms of this world to the kingdom of God's people. Right, the Pharisees were uh, people who believed that the Roman rule over God's people had to be ungripped. They had to get away from Rome. So the Pharisees wanted to set up an, a new kingdom for themselves in the capital city of Jerusalem. They wanted a ruler on their throne. They wanted to kick out the Roman Empire. They felt like the taxes that Rome was levying on them were unjust, especially this tax that they're asking Jesus about, which is specifically given only to non-Roman citizens. The Pharisees felt like this is the most unjust tax of all time. Rome just needs to get out of our city. Let us be an autonomous power. That was the political opinion of the Pharisees. The Herodians, you might notice the word Herod in there, like King Herod, the Herodians had a different political bent. Now, they also believed that God's people should have freedom, that God's people should worship freely, that they shouldn't be under Roman rule. But the Herodians believed that the best pathway to freedom and religious freedom of worship was to get God's man on the throne in Rome. They wanted to get a godly person or a Herodian person on the throne to rule for God's people through the Roman Empire. So the Herodians had a different pathway of finding freedom for the people of God. They felt like, you know what? We're going to pay our taxes into the system. We're going to fix the system from the inside. And we're going to make this a good place for God's people from the inside out, right? And so you had a group of people saying, we're going to get God's man on the throne. And you had another group of people saying, you know, we need to secede from the union and do our own thing. And so they come to Jesus 
And they say, Jesus, simple question. Should we pay this tax to Rome or not? Jesus, are you a Herodian at heart or a Pharisee at heart? Right? And knowing Jesus, you would expect that he'd have some kind of like non-committal answer. Like, guys, come on. That's a dumb question. Stop trying to trick me. Or he wouldn't be able to be pinned down. He'd have some kind of elusive answer. But it's interesting. Jesus' answer actually is pretty straightforward at its core. He says, yeah, pay the taxes. And he gives an answer. He aligns with the Herodian position. He says, yeah, pay your taxes to Caesar. And yet the way that Jesus answers this question is so unique and so life-giving, I really want to dive into what Jesus says in response to this question. I was I learned about a group when I was in seminary uh, who back in the 70s were on this quest to find what they called the historical Jesus. They were called the Jesus Seminar. Don't research them. Bad scholarship, bad theology, bad group. But uh, their whole quest was to figure out, let's look through the Gospels and let's find out what which of these sayings that are... Uh, committed to Jesus are actually sayings of Jesus, right? They felt like Jesus couldn't have said all these wise things. There's no way one man said everything in the gospels. And so they combed through the pages of the New Testament looking for anything that they could find that they felt was uniquely Jesus in origin. And the Jesus seminar came back and they threw out almost everything Jesus said. Oh, he couldn't have said that. He couldn't have said that. There was one phrase that the Jesus seminar said, we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that this phrase is uniquely Jesus because it's so rooted in Jesus' historical time, first century Judaism, and it was so unique in thought that it had to come from Jesus himself. And the phrase that they found that was the most uniquely Jesus in the New Testament was this phrase here in verse 17, when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. The Pharisees and the Herodians come to Jesus, they should we pay taxes? And you probably know the story. Jesus says, well, why don't you hand me a coin? Hand me a denarius. And so somebody like searches their pockets or goes and finds one. And a denarius was a coin that represented a day's wage. So Jesus takes this coin and he looks at it. And he asks them here in Matthew chapter 12, he says, are you trying to trap me? They bring him the coin and he says, whose image is this on this coin? Or whose picture is on this nickel, right? Whose image is on this coin? And whose inscription is on this coin? And the Pharisees and Herodians say, well, it's Caesar's picture. It's Caesar's name. Caesar's written all over this coin. And, and Jesus, in almost this flippant way, says, well, if Caesar's picture is on the coin and his name's on it, it's probably his. Give it to him. Pay, his, pay your taxes, right? Can you imagine if that was your philosophy on money and economy and taxes here in the States, right? If Jesus came to your house, you said, Jesus, I'm sick of all the taxes I have to pay. I feel like the government's just has their thumb on me. I don't know what to do. And Jesus said, hey, pull out your wallet. And so you pull out your wallet and Jesus says, what do you got there? Like, I got a picture of Andrew Jackson and this is Alexander Hamilton and this is Benjamin Franklin and George Washington. He's like, who, who are those people? Like, oh, those, those are the founding fathers, I guess, of our country. And it's their names on the dollars. It's like, well, it looks like it's a piece of paper with their name on it. If they want it back, just give it to them, right? It doesn't make a lot of logical sense, but at the same time, there's something about Jesus' answer that just shows that he's like unbounded and free from this whole political argument. He doesn't care about taxes. It's just money, according to Jesus. It's Caesar's. The money came to send it back. Who cares? He has a position, but he's not taking a side. He's 
has this freedom from the political conversation that is just so, it's so beautiful. I think we're living in a season right now where a lot of us would just long for some freedom when it comes to these conversations. Now we see Jesus and it seems like he doesn't care, right? He lives in his own kingdom. He lives in his own world. He has his own father that he's walking in a relationship with. All this stuff is just pay your taxes, submit to the government. Come on, just do what I tell you to do. It's fine. It's like he's walking lighter than we're able to walk because he's not burdened by by all of this pressure and stress and tension and conversation and controversy that tends to wrap us up all the time. You know, if you're someone who is stressed out, discouraged, tense because of the political state of the union that we're experiencing right now, whether it's within the church or it's within our nation or within our community, I just want to encourage you this week to take some time and and spend your own time in this text Because there's something about Jesus' response. There's something about the way that Jesus processes. There's something about the way he navigates the world and his relationship to the politics of this world that is just so beautiful and free and life-giving. I think of that time earlier in the Gospels where where the the same type of religious leaders come to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And they come and they say, hey, does your teacher pay the temple tax or not? And so they go into Jesus and say, Jesus, do we pay the temple tax or not? And Jesus says, why don't you go outside and catch a fish? So they go out to the Sea of Galilee, they catch a fish. He says, opens the fish's mouth, inside the mouth is a coin, and they toss it to the tax collector. It's like, hey, pay your taxes and move on. Like something about Jesus is so unfettered by this whole thing. He seems to be someone who can live freely, even within the political systems of this world. And if you're someone who's been bound and hurting and pressured by all the politics and conversation. Spend some time with Jesus in this area this week and do a deep dive, even in your own heart, in your own conversations with the Lord around how Jesus can get this mentality. You know, we look at this text and we see that that when Jesus gives this answer to two very political, very pointed, very agended people, it just simply says, and they were amazed at him. There's something about his answer that was totally off the wall, but it was totally beautiful and marvelous and freeing at the same time. You know, we know if we read this text that they weren't amazed by Jesus for much longer. This amazement kind of turned back into their normal lives again, and and eventually these groups kept turning on Jesus. You know, I think if, if you're someone who want some freedom from politics. You might be able to escape from politics for a little while, right? You've deleted your Twitter, you've deleted your Facebook, and you try to get away from it. You try to like go Zen or something and get really calm and stop thinking about all this, but it always comes back, right? As much as we want to untether ourselves from the political systems of this world, this is the water we live in. As much as Jesus had great answers and a totally unique uh, opinion and a totally unique perspective on politics, Over and over again, this stuff just kept coming at him and coming at him and coming at him. It's like the political system of his world was so heavy and volatile that even Jesus' beautiful, freeing perspective, it wasn't enough to overturn the political, opinionated people of the religious folks of his time. You know, there's a chance that you spend some time untethering yourself from politics and it lasts a week, it lasts a weekend, it lasts an hour, 
But the hard thing about living as citizens of this world is a lot of times <laughs> we have to come back to reality and live again within the, citizen, uh, the citizenship of this world. And the world that we live in is a very difficult world, like we talked about last week, a very difficult world to live in politically. People have opinions around every corner. And even as a Christian person, your Christian worldview is sometimes causing you to want to take some action, right? We live in a country, for those of us who are American citizens, where we're invited into the political process. We're invited by our government to take part. And so we want to use this passion we have and this worldview we have to make the world a better place, to do what we talked about last week and to increase the increase the peace and prosperity of the region we're called to live in. And so even though it seems really tempting to be like Jesus and totally disengage and become apolitical, it feels like this politic just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. It seems like it's wishful thinking to think that we can escape the politics of our day. Again, I want to encourage you, as I look at the life of Jesus, that, that even though Jesus was totally free and totally unbounded by all this stuff, Jesus was actually a very political person. Right? Jesus was not apolitical at all. Right? When you fast forward to the end of the Gospels and we see Jesus executed, what the religious leaders and even what Pilate is talking to Jesus about is this claim that he is somehow the king of the Jews. There's a political bent in that. Jesus' politic, in a sense, ultimately got him killed. So Jesus is not someone who is not political. Yes, he is free from politics. Yes, he seems unbound, unfettered, totally relaxed, totally confident. Yes, he seems to have an off-the-wall totally different mentality that is freeing and life-giving, but Jesus was actually a very, very political person. Just compared with the Pharisees and the Herodians, he, he didn't fit inside their box. It was interesting, if you had to vote between Pharisees and Herodians, Jesus kind of becomes the third party candidate. He was different than both of them. Right, we, we learn about the Pharisees. We talked about this, that they wanted freedom and they believed that freedom could come by seceding from the Roman Union and putting God's man on the throne in Jerusalem. Right? The Herodians wanted freedom and they believed that freedom could come through stepping into the government and putting God's man on the throne in Rome. And yet Jesus did not believe in getting God's man on the throne in Rome. Jesus did not believe in getting God's man on the throne in Jerusalem, even though everyone wanted him to come in the temple and set up his roots there as the king of the Jews. He didn't want anything of that. He turned over the tables in Jerusalem. Jesus, instead of all of that, took a totally different route. Jesus walked into Jerusalem and was killed on a Roman cross in the capital city of the Jewish people, was placed in the grave, and then came out of the grave to ascend into his throne. Not in Jerusalem, not in Rome, but he ascended into his throne in the heavenly places. Jesus believed that freedom could come, not through Rome, not through Jerusalem, but Jesus believed that freedom could only come when he himself became the king of a new kingdom that super preceded all the kingdoms of this world. Right, as the Pharisees and Herodians came to Jesus to find out which of their parties he affiliated with, one of the reasons Jesus could be so free and flippant with the whole thing was because Jesus knew eventually he would be the king of both of those parties, the Lord of both of those parties, the king of the entire universe, and he would be ruling over everything on planet Earth. Jesus believed in freedom 
But Jesus believed that freedom would only come through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to his throne of power in the heavenly places. And that means for us, like where we started as Christians, we are citizens of Jesus' kingdom. He is our king. And yet we find ourselves living in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. Now, sometimes I wonder when we're wrestling back and forth, are we Pharisees or are we Herodians? Are we Pharisees or are we Herodians? Let's not forget, we are neither Pharisees nor Herodians. We are citizens of King Jesus. He is our leader. He is our guide. He is our governor. He is our president. He is our king. He is our emperor. He is the Lord of lords. He is our only sovereign ruler. I want to challenge you with a couple of things this week. You can write these things down and process through them as you walk through your week and look at this text yourself. But I want to remind you that if you are a Christian, you are a citizen of God's kingdom living within an earthly kingdom. And so you are free not to find your identity or emotional well-being in the kingdoms of this world. I think one of the reasons that Jesus was not stressed out with the political conversation of the things going on in this world was that he was a citizen of a different kingdom and his identity and his rest and his emotion was able to be within the kingdom of, the, of the, his citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. I think at the same time, we need to remember that we are free to live as citizens of God's kingdom and carry that mindset with us into the world's kingdoms. Right? We are not escapist people. We live on purpose within the kingdoms of this world, but we need to take the mindset that we have as citizens of God's kingdom and bring that into our life and politic and the way that we move and relate and our ethic within the kingdom of this world. Now, the two things that, that I want to remind us as we close today are, are number one, your citizenship, if you're a Christian, your citizenship is in heaven. That's your citizenship. Now, the Bible is very clear on this. I hear a lot of times people saying, we have a dual citizenship, right? We have like American passports and we have uh, a citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible doesn't say anything about you having a dual citizenship, right? The Bible says that your citizenship is in heaven. That's Philippians 3.20. Your citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. There's something about when we come to Christ that we are removed from this citizenship in the kingdoms of this world. And now our residence in this world is different than it was before we knew Christ. And that's why 1 Peter 1 talks about how we are to navigate life within the kingdoms of this world. He says, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. He says, as you live life on this earth, you need to remember that this word stranger in 1 Peter 1 describes someone who's He's in a country on a visa of some sort. Live as if that's your state in this country. Your citizenship as a Christian is in heaven. You're not an American person. Your passport says America. It gives you rights and privileges. You can vote. There's things that you can take advantage of and be part of as an American citizen. Of course, that's true. But as a Christian, your citizenship is in heaven. And so number two, you are free to participate in the kingdoms of this world with a submissive heart and a gospel mind. You are free to participate in the kingdoms of this world with a submissive heart and a gospel mind. 
And what I mean by that is next week, we'll, we'll talk from Romans 13 about submitting to the governing authorities. There's this posture the scriptures give us over and over again about being citizens of the kingdoms of this world as submissive servants. We, we live here in submission to the rulers and authorities of this place. We have a submissive heart. At the same time, our citizenship here in America, our citizenship, wherever you're a citizen of, is a citizenship that you're free to utilize for the sake of the gospel. I think of the Apostle Paul, who had all the credentials, right? He was a Pharisee. He was a high-credentialed Jewish scholar. He was a Roman citizen. He said, and yet he said, I don't care about any of that. But when he was doing his ministry every once in a while, he would use some of these credentials to get him gospel opportunities, right? He, he would appeal to Caesar because he wanted to share Christ with Caesar. He knew he was a Roman citizen. So he took advantage of the privileges of being a Roman citizen to help extend his ministry. In the same way, you are a citizen of heaven, yes. And yet if you're a citizen of this country or another country, there are rights and privileges that you're given exercise those rights and privileges with a submissive heart and a gospel mind, right? Use your voting privilege to vote, right? Use the privileges you have. If you're a Mexican citizen, you can own land. Sure, buy some land in Mexico, right? There are things that you can do as a citizen of a country. Exercise those privileges with a submissive heart and a gospel mind. And we live in a country, for those of us who are American citizens, that, that beautifully invites us into the political process. We're not like the people of the scriptures that had to submit to a, an authoritarian regime or a dictatorship, anything like that. We're invited into the political process. And yet I, I believe that sometimes one of the problems that happens with Christians is that we get so consumed with this process that America invites us into that we neglect the clear biblical command to live as submissive participants within the kingdom of this world. You are first and foremost, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Secondarily, you have citizenships, you have memberships here on this planet. Exercise those humbly, submissively, with a gospel worldview, but don't get those two things mixed up. I don't see anything in the scriptures that say we need to be like Herodians and get God's man on the throne. I don't feel like God is concerned with us helping him in that way. I don't see anything in the scriptures that says that we need to be like Pharisees and fight for religious freedom and secede from the union. I don't see that in the scriptures. Instead, when I see the New Testament and the way that it fleshes out in the early church, I see them adopting this worldview into the way that they live. I see things like in 1 Timothy 2, where he says, pray for kings and all who are in authority that you may live quiet and peaceable lives here in this place, right? You want to live lives with religious freedom? Then pray. Pray for those who are in authority that God may give you favor through those government agencies. You know, I, I think of 1 Peter who says, live as free men, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. And then Peter says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king live as good citizens of the kingdoms of this world, but remember that your primary citizenship is in heaven. That's where your identity rests. That's where your future is landed. And so rest in Jesus. He is the one who is on the throne. He is the one who has given you freedom. He is the one who will rule and reign forever and rest in his kingdom, even as you live in the kingdoms of this world. Let me pray for us to that end, and then we'll move into some music. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to detach from any inappropriate connection we might have with political systems in this world, 
so that we may appropriately attach to our citizenship in your kingdom. Let our participation and navigation within the kingdoms of this world always fall subservient to our true citizenship in your kingdom. Let us act like Peter says, live as strangers here in reverent fear. Some of us feel too at home in this country. We need to realize that we are here for a time on a mission, but our ultimate country, our home, our place of residence is in heaven. We pray that you would give us the grace to even feel a little bit uncomfortable in our own home country and grow more comfortable and more longing for our real heavenly home so that we might live as kingdom citizens wherever we go, as we live, as we talk, as we vote, as we participate in whatever processes of this world. Let us do that with a humble, submissive heart and with a gospel-centered worldview. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.